Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. It's great to have you with us for our last episode in Series 5. If you're a new listener to the podcast or have missed some of the previous episodes in this series, remember that all our episodes are available online via Spotify, Acast, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from normally. And if you want to go back and have a listen to any of our previous podcasts, they're all there as well. And our previous guests just in this series include Maggie O'Farrell, Tyree Jones, Nisha Dolan, Paul Mendes, Holly Board, Harriet Walker, Louise Candlish, Mark Edwards, Elizabeth McNeil, and Stephen Chbosky, just to name a few. But let's turn now to my guests for this episode. And what a way to finish the series, if I may say so. My first guest is a number one internationally best-selling author and former journalist, folk singer and lawyer. He's published more than 30 novels, three short story collections and a law book. And his novel The Bone Collector was made into a film a few years back starring Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie and is now a series coming to Sky TV here in the UK. Here to tell us about his latest novel, The Good Bye, man. It's Jeffrey Diva. Hello to you, Jeff. Hello, Joe. Always good to talk to you. So lovely to talk to you, and I'm I'm just sorry it couldn't be in person over a glass or two. Indeed, we've uh, I, I I cherish our lunches uh, when I'm over there, and uh, of course the travel situation has uh, made that impossible now. But uh, certainly, uh, all things will end, and uh, look forward to it in the future. Indeed. Well, we'll certainly make up for it. I promise you that. Uh, and also joining us is a lawyer and the author of 11 best-selling novels and two works of non-fiction. His books have been translated into more than 40 languages and have been adapted into film and television projects. Here to talk about his latest novel, The Last Trial, it's Scott Turow. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Hi, Jeff. Uh, glad, glad to be here through the uh, miracle of faltering uh, technology. So. <laughs> you made it, Scott. <laughs> you made it through. I did. I did. It's like uh, it's like it's it's like getting through the gates in a steeplechase. So I've made it. <laughs> and of course, usually we would be sat round a table or together in a nice studio, sharing a cup of tea or something stronger. Um, but uh, so I would introduce you both. But I think you know each other. We do. We have. I, I've had the. Pleasure before of uh, sharing Jeff's company uh, and uh, even the dinner table with him and uh, 
you know, uh, I, I am very sorry it's not in person, but. Um, we did a, a great event with uh, Scott's wonderful uh, book. I guess it was your most recent, uh, I think the last was. time came out in May, uh, Testimony, a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, and we chatted about that at a, a wonderful bookstore in Raleigh, North Carolina, Quail Ridge, a good independent bookstore, had a good turnout there. And then the conversation continued, uh, speaking of which, over a glass of wine or two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> presentation. Yeah, the, the, the listeners are going to get the idea that we basically, we, we authors eat and drink a lot. And it's true. There's no two ways to <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, what, what, yeah. what, what, what's, what's, what misimpression is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have had a brilliant day today for, for many reasons. Um, and it's, you know, I think there are ups and downs in this lockdown situation. Every day is a bit different. But today I woke up knowing that I was going to speak to Jeff Diva and Scott Turow. And then about an hour later, the, the, the buzzer rang and uh, my wine delivery arrived. So I'm feeling ah. pretty great right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're both joining us from America. You're, are you both in uh, North Carolina? No, I'm in uh, Naples, Florida at the moment. Ah, okay. Uh, and uh, I'm not even sure. I guess the last time I saw you, Jeff, we had started spending time down here. Uh, so I, but I don't even know if our conversation touched on that. Uh, we, we may have... Yeah, we may have mentioned it a, a bit because I have a, a place in Orlando and uh, my partner and I uh, get down there with, well, <laughs> with some frequency until this happened. Now she's um, in a one place in North Carolina. I'm in another. And uh, because we're just, you know, social distancing and I have not been in Florida to see the uh, the grandkids for some time now. And that, again, that may have to wait a bit. Yeah. Well. Well, there are worse places to be than Naples, Florida. I'll tell you that. Yeah, there are. <laughs> it's starting, you know, it's starting to turned to summer down here. So it's not quite as delightful as it is during the winter, but it, it beats the doors off of either Illinois or Wisconsin in the winter. And uh, That's for sure. uh, so it's not, uh, I'm sure your weather is pretty good in North Carolina though. It's been nice. We've had some uh, chill lately though. I bet you can't guess what the weather is like over here at the moment. Can you? <laughs> uh, I, I, I would guess that it's bleak and misty. <laughs> 10 points you you have got it just right do you know what it's been very sunny and lovely i have to say it's been really really nice for a couple of weeks um but it's it's revolted it's gone back to its old ways good old good uh -huh. old uk um but it's do you know what i love about um podcasts and about re the radio and everything at this time is that you know although we're all in different locations we can actually be together uh, and have this conversation together and people can hear it and feel like they're a part of it so it's really great that you've both joined me today and just to tell you and any new listeners there a little bit about what we're going to do on this podcast we are going to talk to to jeff and scott about these new books uh, which i've both really really enjoyed jensen um i tell you what it's a it's great to have two page turners to just get lost in at this time uh, and we're also going to talk a little bit about writing and writing during lockdown and then at the end of the podcast it's the book off so this is where each of my guests gets three minutes on the clock to tell us about a book they absolutely love not their favorite book i would never i would never dream to ask someone of their favorite book because i think that's the impossible question but just a book that they love that they think we should all read and we'll be hearing what those are later on. Firstly, though, um, let's talk about these two new novels. And Jeff, 
your new thriller is The Goodbye Man, as I said, and it's the second book featuring Coulter Shaw. So for anyone who hasn't read the previous book, can you tell us a, a little bit more about him? Sure. I, I, I once heard someone say that there are two types of, uh, of stories in fiction, <clears throat> uh, two templates, you might say. One is a quest. Uh, someone goes on a quest, and that would be the Lord of the Rings is the classic example of that. And the other a template is a stranger comes to town. And the, the classic example of that in, in Western literature, uh, it was a film too, is Shane, the Jack Schaefer uh, novel, more uh, vain kind of writing. And the gunslinger in the movie, Alan Ladd Jr., uh, comes to town, gets embroiled in a uh, shootout between the, the good ranchers and the bad, bad cattle baron and rides off into the sunset at the, the end. I always love that type of type of story. A few years ago, uh, earlier, you and I were chatting about Hollywood and kind of the uh, the, the strange elements of uh, Hollywood stories, not the stories that Hollywood makes, but about Hollywood. And I had a character who was a location scout, and he would travel around the country in his Winnebago looking for places to shoot movies. And coincidentally, of course, he would stumble into uh, the middle of a crime or a crime that had happened and had to solve it as an amateur private eye. I love the idea. The books did pretty well. But there was that artificiality about it. Uh, why did he happen to be there just when a crime was occurring? So I decided to update that idea and create Coulter Shaw, who was a professional reward seeker, which is, by the way, a profession I made up. Uh, <laughs> children, try this at home. I would not recommend uh, you go out and try to make a living seeking rewards, but there is money to be made if you're going to help find a missing person or help the police track down a bad guy who's escaped. So that's what Coulter Shaw does. He travels around the uh, the country in his Winnebago looking for a reward, uh, gets involved in uh, local politics, local shenanigans. There's quite a bit of soap opera stuff, too, and I say that with all affection. I, I mean that the Shaw will maybe have a love interest or get involved in a, a family relationship of some kind. He solves the crime and then uh, moves off into the sunset. In, uh, very briefly, since I've, uh, <laughs> I've monopolized a bit of time here, I'll simply say <laughs> that my man, he is on the trail of two uh, extremists, uh, skinhead extremists who have committed a hate crime. And, uh, but as in all of my books, nothing is quite what it seems to be. He ends up uh, investigating a cult. That's a, uh, the article, a cult, not occult. And uh, gets, uh, gets involved in um, some uh, more shenanigans there. And I can't tell you whether he rides off into the sunset or not, because that would give something away. Well, yes, quite. I think uh, everyone's going to have to read it to find out uh, whether he rides off into the sunset or not. Two things worth noting. Uh, one, uh, when Jeff says there are two kinds of stories, I remember in high school English class, I was told that there were seven. And I have literally spent uh, the 50 years since trying to figure out what those seven are. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, that, that's one thing. And the other is, of course, that, that Jeff is, when he uses the term soap opera, it is not disparaging at all. He's a soap opera fan. So uh, your, your uh, listeners. Uh, it, well, it, yes, that, that's, that's true, Scott. And I, I just, this, this will be a very brief story. Uh, sometimes be careful what you ask for. I was on a, 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 a talk show on CBS, the um, American Broadcasting uh, Company, um, uh, some years ago. 
And I, I do like uh, soap operas. Uh, my partner and I, sometimes at lunch hour, she, she'll put on one of her shows and we'll kind of watch it. And, you know, it's very tight writing, very uh, dramatic, sometimes borders on melodramatic. But nonetheless, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's good dramatic storytelling. And I was on the, the uh, air mentioning, well, I, I, I kind of enjoy the show, the soap opera that airs on, on this network. And a week later, my agent got a call and said the, the producer was a fan of my um, my books, did I want to be on the show? And I said, sure, as a dead body. And it was, you know, it was going to be a lark. I got about 100 pages of script. I had to read, <laughs> learn, and I will never, ever, ever do it again. Most traumatizing yeah. in my life. Yeah, I, I hated it. Oh, yeah, hated it. Absolutely hated it. Well, Scott, have you been, have you done TV? Have you acted? You've been on TV ever? I have resisted the opportunities. So uh, several years ago, though, um, Hart Hansen, who uh, and a very fine American TV showrunner, wrote Bones for years, um, and had done a pilot based on one of my novels, and an experience that Jeff has been through, and um, so and it was being shot by uh, our mutual friend John Avnet, uh, who was the director and producer. So Avnet got this wonderful idea that Hart and I, the two writers, uh, ought to be in a scene that was being shot outside Cook County Jail. Now, this was really taxing because we were both supposed to walk and pretend to be in conversation. And uh, But, you know, neither of us was dressed as lawyers that day, so we had to go to wardrobe and you know, that they put clothing on us that didn't really fit. And then, then of course, we had to have makeup. We went through the whole thing. Well, if tell two lawyers just to walk. Um, we did about <laughs> seven takes. John became furious uh, because, you know, we were giggling and uh, we, we just, we couldn't, we trip over each other. We couldn't, we couldn't get it right. And finally throws his hands <laughs> into the air and he says, he says, I'm just going to edit it out. Uh, and so <laughs> our, 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 our big day on film never came. So, and I, Thus I ended your back, Hollywood career. Yeah. Right. And I went back to my standard position, which is I'm a writer, not an actor. So, <laughs> Well, isn't it good that you'd, you'd found that out uh, early on in both your careers rather than yeah. pursuing the, the Hollywood limelight? It, actually, when I was about 12 years old, I was acting. And I was offered a professional part. And uh, I remember riding my bike down the streets of Chicago and thinking, uh, and I can't even say why beyond a visceral impression, that um, this was not something that I wanted to do. But I get a great deal of um, fun out of it because it was at the Goodman Theater in Chicago, a place that I'm sure Jeff knows probably our, our I, I, I frequented many, many times. Right. Oh, just and uh, the artistic director there, Robert Falls, is a good friend. So I, I like to tease him now and then by telling him that I that I turned down a part on his stage. Um, so, but uh, and, and you know every trial lawyer uh, is part ham. So, uh, <laughs> you know there 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 probably was. Uh, something in it for me but i i decided not to do it and uh as i said you know decades later i proved that that was the right choice <laughs> yeah scott you and, may i know you've had some wonderful uh 
films made, and uh, I, I wonder, uh, I, I've I had a couple of films made too, and I, I went to the set once, and uh, I, I, I was bored. They were very uh, hospitable to me. Uh, they showed me around the soundstage and some, uh, you know, let me ride in one of the dollies, and it was, it was kind of fun for about a half hour, and then when I watched them actually shoot portions of the film, I got so bored. They do it over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Devoted to it. I mean, I respect actors uh, immensely, but it's it's like, oh my God, can we move on, please? And and then yeah. then I was expecting to party at night. No, they went to bed early because they had a, casting calls at like five a.m. What fun was that? Sure. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it it it's like watching paint dry to watch a film being shot, and and it is a form of torture. Uh, you know, if if for example you're the author of the book and don't like <clears throat> what's happened to the dialogue that you've written and the piece of script that's now being filmed. And you're hearing something that you think you wrote better in the original, uh, repeated again and again and again and again. Uh, so I, I've always enjoyed my time on sets. You know, there, there's always somebody wonderful. Uh, you know, my, my first instant on a movie set I became friends with uh, with Brian Dennehy, the wonderful American actor who passed oh, away on fantastic. the 15th of yeah. April. Yeah. And uh, he remained a close friend uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, and uh, talking about movie sets makes me, makes me mourn and miss Brian again. So forgive me for mentioning him, but he was an extraordinary actor uh, and person. Did, did he not do uh, Death of a Salesman recently? Was yes. His, yes, no. he won one of his two Tonys, and this right. is going to begin to get circular because he did it originally at the Goodman Theater in Chicago, and then he went no to Broadway with it and won one of his two Tonys. Uh, the other was in, in for Long Day's Journey into Night, That's which right. he also yeah. did originally at the Goodman in Chicago. But it, he was an immense talent and really, uh, I think, in probably in the running for the title of America's finest stage actor uh, for many, many years. Yeah. Indeed. The thing, the thing about talking to you two is that we could go off in tangents of, of anywhere on the arts, really, couldn't we? Uh, we should talk about your new legal thriller, The Last Trial, which revolves around defence lawyer Sandy Stern. Can you tell us a little bit about, about him and, uh, and about the, the last case that he decides to take? Sure. San Sandy Stern... Uh, appeared originally in my novels as Rusty Savage's defense lawyer in Presumed Innocent and was then played on the screen by Raul Julia, who did a, a wonderful job but looks mm -hmm. nothing like the Sandy Stern of my imagination, although they're both Hispanic in origins. Uh, and uh, my Sandy Stern is, uh, you know, a, a short... Uh, is sometimes described almost as dumpy-looking uh, guy, although he tries to be a little more elegant than that, uh, who is unremarkable in any way until you put him in a courtroom. And he is the foremost uh, criminal defense lawyer uh, in my imagined town of Kendall County and has been uh, the top dog at that profession uh, for decades, but he's now 85 years old. And his career, you know, the lights are beginning to dim uh, on his career. And a friend of his, a man named Kirill Pafko, a former Nobel Prize winner in medicine, comes to Stern 
and it's obvious from reports in the Wall Street Journal that he's about to be indicted for insider trading and fraud, uh, and they asked Stern to represent him. And Stern uh, is thrilled by the opportunity to return uh, to center stage. His daughter, who is his law partner, thinks he's out of his mind, that he's no longer up to it uh, physically or emotionally. And, you know, the trial begins, he says yes, and it turns out uh, that his daughter's misgivings were well-founded. And, uh, you know, in many ways, Stern himself is on trial in this, his last case, defending his old friend, whose uh, life, of course, hangs by a thread now. And as I said, it, it's a real page-turner, much like Jeff's, and um, I just sort of sank into these books and was was able to forget about you know what was going on in the wider world for for a little while which was just really great i've been asking my guests uh, on who've been on the show in the recent weeks how they've been finding writing or working in lockdown and and some authors are, are really struggling and others have different ideas how how is this strange time for both of you well i've been writing full time now for uh, about 35 years and I, I recall, I love practicing law at that time. Actually, I had shifted from law to being a legal editor to cut down on my hours because, as Scott can tell you, the hours at a, a large firm I was working on Wall Street can be uh, grueling. They can be satisfying in many ways, but you simply have to rack up long hours. And I wasn't finding the time to write. Uh, so I moved to be an editor, and then I left that job. And my, my concern was... Um, that what am I going to do? I, I'm, I'm a, I, I fancied myself a rather social person. I, I enjoyed the um, working in an office, enjoyed, I was a, a corporate lawyer. I didn't do any, uh, any trial work. Uh, so we would, you know, work on deals together. Uh, I enjoyed the drinks afterwards, the dinners and the socializing. And I thought the day I woke up after I'd left my job, I thought, well, what am I going to do? I know I'm going to write, but how will I be able to handle it? And it was maybe the best day of my life. I could write from sunup to sundown. I didn't feel a bit of social anxiety or the absence of social anxiety, I should say. I, I absolutely uh, enjoyed the solitude and that has, has not changed. So for me, I don't really see a lot of difference. I will go for uh, long periods of time uh, independent of the situation we're in right now, not see another soul. Uh, I can pick up the phone if I want to. I can choose to go out. I, I, I do with some frequency, but I'll also simply sit in a room and uh, and and write. So for me, it seen really a, a noticeable a change, except of course for getting uh, the wine deliveries, the food deliveries, and things like that. Uh, aside from yeah. going to stores, which I do miss, of course, and uh, not seeing my my partner. Uh, so we, um, you know, we're working around that, but it, it isn't a huge difference for me. And how are the dogs finding it? They love it. They absolutely love it. I, I, I heard, I can't articulate the, uh, the clever line, but it was something like, uh, the, the cats are saying to themselves, when will these people get the hell back to work? And the dogs are saying, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> Please, please let this carry on so they can stay yes. longer. <laughs> and and what about you, Scott? How are you finding this time? Is it, is it a creative time for you, or are you sort of finding it a bit weird? Well, first of all, I would like to note that our dog is at my feet now, uh, <laughs> although I thought he was going to interrupt for a second. I have found it a very difficult time to write 
fiction. Uh, you know, I've published op-ed pieces. Uh, I still am a practicing lawyer a little bit of my time. I've been working on a brief this week. That hasn't been hard. But uh, the fiction, which requires, you know, true flights of fancy, has been much, much more difficult. And there's a an undercurrent of distraction, as if, to use a reference that will date me badly, as if somebody were playing a scratched record in the next room. Uh, you know, something that's just so annoying that you can't really concentrate on what you're doing. And uh, past couple of days, I've found that I am I'm doing better, and that's probably because, you know, there are signs in the U.S. that the fog is starting to lift. But it's been a very, as it's been for everyone around the world, you know, we've all shared this very strange experience that, uh, you know, life is different. And for me, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, trying to fall asleep with a sense of peril. So I haven't, I haven't written real well, uh, to mm. be honest. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's okay. And a lot of people haven't been able to do that either. A lot of writers that I've spoken to, a lot of creatives in general, even, you know, who aren't necessarily authors or writers, but who are working in other areas of the arts, music, for example, where all their summer has been sort of cancelled effectively and their tours and things. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on them that perhaps this is the time to write the next record or to write the next you know number one single and they're saying nah nothing's coming <laughs> and i think that's okay well, scott you make a make a good point i um uh, I, I find myself distracted with some frequency I, I might write a bit but i i find myself going to the new york times that's my homepage, all the time because i want to see you know have there been x number of new cases reported is the are the numbers down uh, has there been some uh, pronouncement from Washington, and we need not get into politics, but has there been some pronouncement from Washington uh, that I hope will be a bit of a, a bright light on the situation? And then I go back to looking at my word uh, processor, and I find, well, now where was I? I'm, I'm kind mm-hmm. of shaken out of my train of thought. And interesting that you mentioned that, because I found that is a, a real phenomenon. Whereas before this, that that didn't happen. I could just sit down and for an hour go straight, hour and hour and a half go straight through and write in a very concentrated way. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's another delivery, just as Jeff <laughs> was talking about. This is going to set the dog off. Um, I, hope, I hope it's the wine. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, knowledge is strength. And we have so many moving parts of this situation. Mm-hmm. First of all, just the mechanics of this crazy little little virus what what does it adhere to? How does it travel through the air? Are my soles, my shoe soles, safe? Right. Um, and you know, I, I I need I do research. I just want to know for a fact. Uh, what where can I where can I be slightly more pushy, and where should I absolutely not go? And I, I think since the the message seems to be changing, or I shouldn't say the message is changing, I think people are making pronouncements when they aren't necessarily sure what the um, what the oh, facts. Oh, for sure. And and just like the news in general, you know, listen to all sides, and then um, as a 
rational, intelligent person, draw your own conclusions. But I found that uh, if I don't stay on top of the information, I, uh, I, I, I'm a little less comfortable about adjusting my lifestyle to this uh, crazy new world. Do you think that, uh, maybe you don't know as yet, but as you've both got books coming out, they're going to be published in May. Is that a, a sort of welcome distraction for you both to be able to sort of channel your energies into these two new stories coming out into the world? And although you're not going to be able to go on the tours that you would normally do in the bookshops and meet the you know the readers and actually go into the radio station, do the interviews, etc., is there in some way a bit of a release and distraction for you that's going to help? For me, this is, yeah, I, I would say it's a welcome distraction. It's, but, you know, as Jeff will tell you, it's a very strange time to be um, publishing a book. And the, uh, you know, the, the, the problems that publishers face right now uh, are extraordinary. For, for, for authors, too. Uh, it's, it, it's quite difficult. You know, I'm doing what my publishers ask me to do. And, uh, you know, I always, that's always been my attitude, that uh, I write the books and they sell them and I do what they say to do. But uh, I know that they're somewhat stymied by everything that's happening. Yes, although I, I suppose there is, a, there is a different way of looking at it, which is, you know, people are in need now of of new stories to read. They want books. They want to be able to escape in a way. And so I guess it's about publishers having to embrace the situation we're in and use the, you know, the, the digital world that we all live in to, to allow readers to get their hands on these books, would you say, Jeff? Uh, certainly. I uh, am using this this time. Normally, I, this year I would have had a tour in, uh, you know, throughout the UK, uh, Italy, uh, Germany, uh, Scandinavia, and then throughout the uh, US, possibly Canada as well. Now, those are in the fall. We'll, we'll see. Some of those were scheduled for the fall, but very likely I, I won't be touring then. <clears throat> but as with so much else of commerce, and, you know, books are a product like, like everything else. You know, it's a creative product, but nonetheless, it is a product. Well, we're kind of resetting our techniques and our mechanisms for getting products and services into the hands of consumers. And I think with publishing, it's no different. And I wonder if after this, we learn, if we, if we do, that we can get books into the hands of our readers, which is what this is all about, of course, as efficiently or perhaps more efficiently than than touring, which is expensive, of course. And I have to say, um, I don't know about you, Scott, but um, I try to hit the independent bookshops on my tours, but there are, of course, fewer of those. And I, I'm afraid that there will be even a, a greater diminution of, of independence after this. So are we seeing a, 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 you know, a shift in the, the whole archetype of of selling books. Uh, we may go back yeah. to normal, and I hope so. I love meeting fans. I love going to bookstores. Uh, but it may be that, uh, that we're, we're just shifting to a, you know, a whole different, uh, whole different model now. Yeah, I think we all have an understanding about uh, business that we probably didn't yeah, decades ago. And the problem is, um, it, it's not that there's not demand, because I agree that, uh, you know, what a wonderful time to sell books. There's no sports uh, that are taking place. The, you can't go to the movies, can't go to the, the theater to see a play. So there's almost no competition for literature in the narrative arts. 
But the problem is the one that Jeff was alluding to, that so many bookstores are closed. So the demand has all been driven into the hands, quite frankly, of the online uh, booksellers, especially our friends at Amazon, who do an amazing job, but probably don't need any greater control of the marketplace. So, you know, it's... And the fact that the outlets aren't there and that people can't go to bookstores, I think is probably having some impact on sales at the end of the day, even though Jeff and I both have that amazing advantage of having names that are, you know, familiar uh, to readers. And certainly it's a much better time to, to be that person whose name is known than the person who's never been heard of before. But, mm. uh, as I said, it's just a very strange moment. And, you know, in our business, like everybody else's. Well, it is. And what I will say from my side of things and to anyone listening in, in the UK, that, of course, you should check out if your local bookstore is doing home deliveries, because I've been ordering uh, books from my local independent bookstore and, uh, and getting them delivered. So it's good to support them where you can. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, we've come towards the end of the podcast, gents, but it's time for the book off. And this is where each of you is going to pitch us a book that you love, that you think we should all read, and why. So before we get into that, I just want to know which titles you are uh, putting forward. So, Jeff, what, what's going to be the book that you're talking about today? The one, And, you know, I'm doing this with a bit of trepidation because I am up against, of course, one of the uh, preeminent uh, trial attorneys in America. <laughs> so I, I do feel a, a touch in, intimidated. Remember, I was a, a backroom lawyer. They didn't let me out. Uh, uh, too much. I wrote. I wrote a hell of a good brief and a, and a memo, but uh, they didn't really allow me in front of court. But oddly enough, I have picked a book that does have a legal uh, tinge to it. It's uh, "To Kill a Mockingbird" by Harper Lee. Fantastic. And uh, we're putting that up against what, Scott? I'm going to pick uh, a classic. One of my favorite books that I think is truly a book for all seasons, which is 
uh, Graham Greene's The Power and the Glory. Wonderful. Okay, well, we're going to put three minutes on the clock, and I should say that you don't have to use all these three minutes if you don't want to, but at the stroke of the third minute, I'm going to either honk you out or ring you out. So, Jeff, uh, would you prefer the... uh the old bicycle horn at your time or would you prefer the school bell? Oh, give me the school bell, please. <laughs> you can have the school bell. It'll take me uh, back to a crush I had on Miss Francis in, in uh, <laughs> sixth grade. But, uh... um, and so, Scott, would you like to go first or second? Uh, either way. Um, I'll go first. How's that? Okay. Uh, All right. You get to relax, Jeff, for a few minutes, and I'm going to put three minutes on the clock now. And it's over to you, Scott. We won't interrupt you. Three minutes on the clock for for you to tell us about Graham Greene's The Power and the Glory. I choose Greene um, because I'm always aware of the fact that I am getting older and that readers may not know authors whom I regard as giants. And certainly... Uh, I regard Graham Greene uh, in many ways as the greatest of the 20th century uh, suspense writers, in part because uh, he was also a writer of, of great literary uh, merit and talent. And uh, the power and the glory sort of uh, shows Greene uh, with all of his uh, magic um, it is the story set in the 1930s when the uh, Mexican government uh, was busy uh, repressing the Catholic Church. Uh, and the so-called whiskey priest, because the character is unnamed, is a renegade uh, on the run uh, from a uh, police chief who's doing his job and trying to track down the priest who... Uh, is uh, called the Whiskey Priest because he's he is a man of uh, of sin. Uh, he is a drunk. Uh, he has an illegitimate child, uh, but he's also uh, deeply committed to his faith and even uh, quite a holy person in his own way. Uh, and he runs from town to town, you know, uh, baptizing the newborn, uh, presiding at funerals. And uh, so it's a it's a story of of faith. It's a story of uh, politics in some ways, and it's fundamentally a story of riveting suspense uh, uh, because the the priest is the hunted uh, throughout this novel, and it's just it's brilliantly done. Uh, it's a beautiful book, uh, and even talking about it makes me feel the heat of the Mexican sun. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I'll give you a little, little bit of the horn there, but you were, you were well under the time there with 25 seconds to go, Scott. Um, that's a fab pitch. Uh, and I have read some Graham Greene, but not The Power and the Glory. So um, we'll come back and discuss that shortly. You can take a breath now while I put three minutes back on the <clears> clock. <throat> and it's over to you, Jeff, to tell us about To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Uh, this this novel will, um, by turns, it will move you to tears in places, make you laugh, uh, make you speed through some pages to see what on earth is going to happen next. It will make you think about and maybe rethink or revisit some of your preconceptions about family, um, about class, about justice, about life in small towns, and 
one of the, if not the essential issue in America, race. Uh, now, I know those sound like very abstract and highfalutin terms, but the author, Harper Lee, has, has lowercased those concepts, you might say, and, and has hung them on a, a framework of a, uh, a book that's both a nail-biting legal thriller and a coming-of-age story. Um, the, the story is set in a, a small town in the South in the 1930s. Now, this was a time uh, in America when African-Americans were technically as much citizens as whites, had technically just as many rights, but technically does not reflect reality. Uh, the book is, is brilliantly constructed. It's told through the eyes of a young girl nicknamed Scout who lives with her um, widower father who's a corrected lawyer, and uh, he, he takes on the very unpopular case of defending a black man uh, in this small town uh, arrested for rape. Now, the trial is the, the backbone of the story, but we also spend time as Scout, uh, with Scout, as she observes life in the, uh, the town around her. It's a, a perfect example of Southern literature. Uh, Southern literature is known for a, a number of things. One is its gothic quality. That means it's a, it's a bit eerie, but also for its its comforting and humorous and uh, I guess you'd say homey side. And To Kill a Mockingbird hits all of those notes. The, the other um, aspect of Southern literature is that it's populated with stories of backstories of characters who are very richly developed and, and often quite quirky, quirky. And Harper Lee brings all of these uh, together in, uh, in this novel. Now, I know I'm pitching the, um, the book, but as an aside, I have to say that it was also, I think, the most perfect adaptation of a book into film that I've ever seen. Gregory Peck uh, was the star playing Atticus Finch. Uh, the the lawyer who defended the um, the man accused of rape, and uh, as another aside, I can't help but mention this that um, the um, first role that Robert Duvall ever had was playing the uh, the wonderfully named Boo Ratley in the uh, the film. Oh, look at that! I don't know if you'd finished there, but that seemed like a a perfect ending right in the three it. minutes, nope. Jeff. That was it. <laughs> Um, couldn't agree more about the film adaptation, actually. I just think that's one of those rare moments where you can love the book and the film equally. Thank you both for fabulous pictures. Just to quickly go back, Scott, to um, the Graham Greene, I loved that you were saying that this book sort of showcases all of his magic. And I agree with you that it's it's important to keep talking about authors and books that you consider the, the giants, you know, of, of your growing up and that readers today and younger people should be able to hear about them and, and be able to explore them as well. Yeah, it's a great book, and I recommend it unreservedly to your listeners. And uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, probably read by many people listening, Jeff, I would have thought. Um, I loved hearing your pitch about it, though, because every time someone talks about a book, you, you can often get something from it, you know, something different, and you can think about another side of it. And I, I quite liked the the fact you said it's a nail-biting legal thriller and a coming-of-age story, two things which, you know, probably shouldn't go together, and yet that Harper Lee does so perfectly. Oh, yes. And it's uh, the, the style is, uh, is, frankly, very conversational. It's it's so, so fascinating that, that the author was able to convey 
uh, concepts that we as adults recognize instantly and yet from an entirely fresh perspective. And it's one of those things that I think art is so well attuned to, making us uh, see something and we slap our heads and say, you know what? I've been thinking that all my life. I've just never been able to articulate it. Mm. And, you know, the, with the rich backstories and characters as well in that book, you know. This. Yeah. If I can jump in, I would just say that I think if you were to ask most American readers to name the great American novel, and certainly the great American novel of the 20th century, they would say To Kill a Mockingbird. It, it is truly one of those books that touches all bases. Yeah, but Graham Greene, you know, should be read, and I'm absolutely going to go and seek out the power and the glory um, after that pitch, Scott. I think, you know, he's he's a great writer, and of the books I have read, I've loved them. One of the things that I, I love about uh, Graham Greene, and Scott may be able to uh, articulate this better than I, but I believe he would write um, books uh, in one category, the, the, I, I guess I call them the big books, the power and the glory, and then... Uh, books that he called entertainments, the spy stories, uh, for instance. Yeah, the third man, right. And he he had the facility to do each of those equally well, of course. And he didn't say one was better than the other. He simply said, well, I, I guess for <laughs> maybe we could call it brand differentiation. Here's what I'm producing. But someone who had the talent to do each equally well. Absolutely. Now they, yeah. they, 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 he, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of an illusion for any writer to think that she or he can be uh, two different people. And, you know, Graham's, Graham Greene's entertainments are often very literate and his supposedly greatly literary novels are still often quite suspenseful. So, and but speaking he, of um, great film adaptations, and I know this wasn't the book that you were talking about, Scott, but thinking of The Third Man and, and that film by Carol Reed, that is just one of the greatest films ever made, surely. Absolutely. And, uh, and interestingly, far ahead of his time, when uh, many uh, novelists regarded the movies as an inferior art form, Graham, Graham Greene was a great fan of film and cinema. Mm. And uh, even I believe uh, for a period of his time, period of his life, made his living as a movie critic uh, for one of the big ones. Oh, right. Really? Yeah. I was going to say, gents, that, that because we're in lockdown and the, the last few episodes of our series here have been with authors who we haven't been able to be with and that everyone's feeling a little bit up and down. So uh, we're not calling a winner. It's a lockdown draw. Okay, so there we go. <laughs> we can't have any winners and losers at this point. Um, the Goodbye Man by Jeffrey Deaver is published by HarperCollins and it's out now. And The Last Trial by Scott Turow is published by Mantle and is out on the 28th of May and, of course, available to pre-order now uh, maybe from your local independent bookshop great idea to order it from me <laughs> great idea yes thank you uh, just before we go a little earlier scott i mentioned that i had a music question to ask you and it's because very very recently i finished reading a book called i'll sleep when i'm dead which is the uh, dirty life and times of warren zevon warren zevon being one of my favorite uh, yeah. artists and singer-songwriters and I, I was turning the pages towards the end here and a came across a photo in it of the rock bottom remainders. And right. I have a feeling you're in it. I am. I am. <laughs> and, uh, I, I knew Warren. Warren was a close friend of Dave Barry and Carl Hyacinth down in Miami. And so he would play with the band from time to time. And uh, the band has got, you know, it's a rock, it's a kind of a garage band of, of best-selling authors. And uh, Steve King, of course, being the, the, mm. the most eminent of the group, 
but Warren would play with us from time to time. And, you know, for a big deal rock and roll star, he was such a humble, decent, warm human being. Uh, he really was a remarkable man and yeah. uh, left, left us far too soon. He certainly did. And I hope you'll forgive me using this podcast to talk about Warren Zevon, but um, I think we all have our, you know, artists, whether they be singers, songwriters, musicians, or authors, or or artists themselves, or actors, we all have those people who we just love to talk about and to share, and we want to spread the word as widely as possible, a bit like with Graham Greene and with Harper Lee, you know, we want to tell people about their work, and he's just one of those artists, I feel, that everyone should should discover if they haven't already and listen to, because he, he really was a genius. Yeah, no, and... Uh... You know, Jeff is a really good musician and, you know, can be a music critic. I, I can only say that he was just an, an extraordinary person. And uh, I love his music. Uh, I love Warren's music. But I just loved him as a person uh, beyond that. So it's nice mm -hmm. to remember him. And I'm we can't talk about Warren too often. No, well, that's great. Well, it was just very timely, Scott, that I knew we were going to be speaking. And a few days before I turned the page and, and saw a, a photo of you from the <laughs> from those uh, early 2000s. So thank you both again for being here, for taking the time to talk to me and for your brilliant pictures. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, Joe, for the time and apologies for the technological issues. Don't you worry at all. And and thank you again, Jeff. And we'll we'll make sure that lunch gets put put in for next year. It's uh, it's and you know what? I'm penning it into my calendar, not penciling. How's that? <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, that's I like that. I like that. I will do the same this end on whatever date that might be. And that's all from us for this series of Book Off. But remember to check out our backlisted episodes as there may be more authors for you to discover and explore. Thank you as always for listening and we'll be back for our sixth series in the autumn, hopefully when the world is in a slightly better place. Until then, stay safe and well and bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah.